You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. We've been going through this summer, going through uh, building a stronger marriage, and so uh, obviously this uh, today throughout the sermon we've been talking about Proverbs 5. We're going to be going through back to Genesis uh, chapter 1, 2, and we'll continue to go through this section on it. Uh, do want to just shoot straight with you. Um, today was a very hard day. Um, you know, when I typically, you know, go through the passage and think it through, oh, this will be interesting to think through having to teach on certain things with different people in the room. I thought, okay, that's going to be challenging. But what's really challenging is, as a pastor, when you know when people's marriages are struggling and you're just praying that somebody's going to get the light bulb turned on, if that makes sense. And then you're looking at who's there and who's not there and, oh, I wish they wouldn't have skipped today or whatnot. And then you just see um, there's a complexity, right, that I think I mentioned. But in some ways, um, there are some times where people are on the verge of making a bad decision to marriage. You want to just shout at them and just shake them a little bit till they come alongside it, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You just want to shake somebody to seeing things. And then on the other side, there's probably even people in this room that you've been through some of those hard moments. And you go, I don't need anybody shaking me. I've done that enough, right? Going through the pain, going through the issue, going through the hurt, and what you need is comfort. But I also know this. Um, years ago, uh, when the boys were very, very young, okay, um, I took them. They were, I mean, they were probably... Uh, three, four, and I took them to a baseball game. And I, I, somebody should have warned me. It's never fun to take three or four year old boys to a baseball game to watch. Okay, maybe to play that's fine, but they're just like jumping over this and doing that. And they're just like, how long is this going to take? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And it's just going so slow, and it's not enough movement. And so at one point, I remember that uh, Obi had fallen, and he had actually gotten his knee scratched up. Somewhere he'd fall in between the bleachers, guy's knee scratched up, you know, he's chasing ball and doing this kind of stuff. And and so then Eli, he starts doing the same thing later. And Obi's over there crying, he doesn't want a band-aid on, he's hurting, and uh, whatever. And then Eli starts doing the same thing. And at some point I have to point out his brother's boo-boo to say, Look, do you want one of these? Okay, because if you continue down this path, this is what's gonna happen to you, right? Like don't keep doing this, because this is what happened to him. And sometimes I feel like when we get to certain areas of marriage, I'm having to point out other people's boo-boos, right? To make other people wake up. Hey, this hurts over here, and it's going to happen to you if you're not careful. But to do that, it's hard because some people are going, yeah, and it still hurts on me to point it out, but also for the sake of other people, you have to really be clear about uh, the dangers that are there. And so uh, as we've been going through, and we've been talking the last uh, throughout the summer, different little sections throughout the Scripture of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, uh, about how uh, God formed and filled us and helpless and alone, leave and cleave, naked and unashamed. And now we get to session five, which is fruitful and multiply. And uh, we will look at how that works together. Uh, in the intro there, it says that as God placed a stamp upon Adam and Eve, he intended them to spread that image throughout the world. So once again, God created man in his own image. Uh, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are meant to bear his image and Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says that we want the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So it's, it's this mentality of, um, uh, if you've never had this opportunity, there is something very unique. If you ever get to share the gospel with someone who's never actually even heard the name Jesus before. Now, I've, I've been in parts of the world where I have found out, um, I, it was very dramatic, but the missionary that worked for the International Mission Board 
drove me in a Jeep, took me to this edge of the desert, and got out of the Jeep and said, all right, you guys are going to start walking this way. That's your satellite phone. We think the map goes that way. We're not exactly sure where all this leads. And then he puts his, his um, foot in the sand and he draws a line. He goes, as far as we know it, a missionary has never crossed this line and gone that deep into the desert. You're up. It's pretty overwhelming. You start walking through like, whoa. I don't want to mess this thing up, right? Okay, like, but he says, this is the first time, first time missionaries ever even crossed the line, and you're to take this message there. So the job of the Great Commission is we want to take the gospel message to those places that have not heard it. Well, even in the great earliest thing in, in, in Genesis, he, when, he, when God is saying, be fruitful and multiply, he's saying, I put my stamp upon you, and I want that image to go out all throughout the world. So first and foremost, it was almost a, practical level of it, but we see later in the Great Commission what this really is. We want the whole world to be full of what we know, that Jesus Christ is great and glorious and is worthy to be followed. So he calls families to be fruitful and multiply through their homes. Um, if you look at what this command was, it really has to do with how you are going to grow a family and to advance, and especially if you think of fruitful and multiply, there's some very practical implications there. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 is where this comes from, but I want you to turn there because we want, I want to make sure we get in context. We're going to start reading in verse number 26. Once again, he's created all things. Uh, this is on the sixth day when he's creating man where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So let me just stop there for a second. He said, out of all these animals I've created, I want mankind to have dominion over it, right? I want mankind to have dominion to be controlled, that they're not going to be ruled by these animals, but they're supposed to be in charge to advance. Think about it this way. God's lordship, I'm putting my stamp of image, you should not be serving the creation right here, right? Like you need to be leading out in it. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. This is a great statement. Male and what? Female, he created them. So both male and female were created in the image of God. So obviously, while God makes gender here, God is not saying that one gender has extra rights towards God. He said, no, both male were created in the image of God and female were created in the image of God. That means that the spirit, the likeness, the, the way that we're supposed to be created in the image of God. And then verse 28 says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill it. Keep moving. Keep going, right? So, and then subdue it. Make sure that you have a type of rule and reign over it. It's not going out of control. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So just give you a great example. So the other week, uh, maybe I guess it was two Sundays ago, I'm on my way home and Amanda says, there is a snake in our backyard. And it is terrorizing me, your daughter, and your dog. And I need you to get here, and I need you to take care of this snake, right? And I said, what kind is it? I don't know, but it's got to be out of here, right? Okay, and so I, you know, I'm talking to the boys the whole way home, and I said, all right, this is going to be a great you know, opportunity for you. I said, because what you got to do, and I explained the whole thing, if you chop a snake's head off, both sides are going to keep moving. It's kind of freaky, but this is kind of a wonderful rite of passage. I want to see which boy wants to get the shovel, right? And when you go, and you got to be you know, really bold about it, I'll do it if you don't want to, 
but you got to come up behind it and you got to take that shovel, get right there, kind of where you think the neck is. And as you bring that thing down, you just shout dominion as you do it. Okay. You just scream dominion and you really feel like a man. If you want to take your shirt off, you can do that. Okay. But I'm wanting you to line up and, and show here that you ain't scared of this stuff. Okay. And, um, 99.9% of that story. No, all of it's true. Okay. That did happen. Yeah. Uh, even the shirt part. Okay. So anyway, um, they got there, different levels of apprehension, but I said, hey, we're not meant to be fearful of these. God has created his image stamping us that we're supposed to be able to think smarter and harder or whatever. And yes, there's beasts out there that are more powerful than you, but they're not supposed to subdue us. Mankind was meant to take God's rule throughout creation and to really put it on a practical level here. He says, you should have dominion over every animal that you're not supposed to serve it. It's supposed to serve you at some capacity. Verse 29 and God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, so here's this picture, right? That God says, Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, if you remember, what was it that God gave Adam in those early days? He gave him a few jobs to do. Does anybody remember what they were? Name. name the animals and till the garden, right? Okay. Here's all the animals. I made them. You get to name them, right? And Adam's like, all right, this one's called brown bear. This one's called black bear. And God's like, you're really creative. Wow, okay. That's awesome, right? He names all the animals, gives them all specific names, goes through it, and says, now, I planted the garden, but I want you to till it. I want you to take care of it, Right? This is also a great, um, you know, thing that uh, just something I was even processing uh, earlier this week. But just really think through, um, you know, a lot of people really struggle and um, about how old the Earth is and how God created things. I know it's a big, deep kind of you know, is, is the world millions of years old or thousands of years old. And if you look at the dating of this and whatnot, but all of us have to realize any scientific fact that talks about the age of the Earth is that we are talking about stuff that none of us were witness to. You know, none of us were there for. Um, but this is what I, if you, if you were to do this really quick, if I were to ask you on the back sheet of your paper, draw what you think the garden looked like. Okay. First off. Okay. And if you were just to, to do stuff, right. Give me a description of when you think about God created the garden of Eden, what do you think it looked like? Anybody just give me a description. Lush. Great. What's the word? Woods. Woods. Yeah. Trees. Flowers. Flowers. Lake. Lake. Okay. Now, you guys all said trees. How big were the trees, you think? Medium. Huge? Medium? You think there were some small ones? You think they were all the same size, or do you think they were different sizes? So do you mean to tell me that God, on the first day that trees existed, they looked a little different age? Right? Because it doesn't say that there was just a barren wasteland and God put seeds in the ground, right? He said there are trees established. So y'all know this, you cut a tree down and you sort of do the whole trunk thing and you can find out how old it is. So how many rings did it have, right? So if you cut, right, this will blow your mind here for a little bit. But if somebody came through a lumberjack, cut through all the trees in the Garden of Eden on day one, guess what? Some trees looked like they were two years old and some looked like they were 100 years old. Is that fair? He probably made them different. Probably different sizes, different views, right? Uh, so, so with that, uh, do you think that also... Um, Give you another great example. When you think of Adam, how old do you think Adam was at first breath? 25. One? Okay, yeah. 25? 
30. I think 30 is a good option, right? He, he probably wasn't four, right? Wasn't a toddler. He was a grown man, right? Everything we know, he'd be a grown man. So you mean to tell me even before he had his first birthday, he was a grown and established. And what I'm trying to get at is when God said let there be, stuff had different levels of age appearance, right? So, so when you say, oh, well, if you look back, the earth only looks like this. Well, no, no, God can make something look old. He made Adam look old. His first day, he never had his first, you know, first birthday, but he was probably a 30-year-old man, probably the first time he drew first breath, right, which is kind of weird to think about. Um, even with that, you think about all different types of ways that, that God does things, but, but I say that to go, as God is putting all of this together and giving them dominion, he's putting a grown man who has not had one day of life yet, he's putting a grown garden that's not had one day of life yet, it looks established. Day one, right? God says, you didn't plant it, and you weren't going to be able to survive if you waited around till it grew. So I went ahead and grew it for you. Different levels of it. Different levels of it. You enjoy it. Your job is not to plant it. Your job is to take care of it. And so God gives him all these things to be fruitful and multiply in the garden. Now, just as God formed and filled the earth, he called Adam and Eve to continue that process. So remember, we start all the way back. Formed and filled. But this idea of having dominion and subduing the earth and going forward, being fruitful and multiply has this kind of idea of uh, not forming the earth as far as creation goes, but forming things within the earth to enjoy creation as it goes. So I think this, that when someone creates a widget that blesses people, that is a mark of God's image stamped upon us. We're being creative like our creator was. So I think when, when I see people able to... Um, I, I, we were looking at this in Charleston this week. It blows my mind when you look at some of those huge ships that have all those shipping containers on it, right? And I go, oh, with technology today. But that was happening like years ago before they had all. I mean, I, it blows my mind how those things just didn't sink day one. It absolutely baffles me. And I go, that's just brilliant that God gave somebody the type of thinking that they could form that and fill that and use God's gifts within us to form and fill the earth and to go to places that we could not go. And so this, this kind of picture is, is happening. Now, we further form the world by using our gifts to cultivate the opportunities he has given. So whenever we create, whenever we serve, whenever we work, we are cultivating just like Adam didn't plant the garden, but he's cultivating it. He's taking care of it. He's putting out, I don't know if there's weeds yet, but whatever he's doing, he's taking care of the garden. God's done. God's done the heavy lifting, but now he's coming alongside and taking and I think that what God has called each and every one of us to do is to use our gifts to cultivate the gardens in which he plants us, right? He puts us in certain areas. And so there are people in here that you are wonderful in accounting and finances, or you are a good teacher, or you feel passionate about certain different things helping. And God is saying, I've gifted you that, and you have put you in this garden, and I want you to cultivate it, to make good and glorious things out of it. It's a wonderful gift. So that's how we kind of form but also we further fill the world by what I'd say delivering and developing disciples. And you go delivering, what does that mean? Well, what do you think be fruitful and multiply mean with Adam and Eve? Have babies. <laughs> Have lots of babies. And guess what? Grow them up in the ways of the Lord. That's what I want you to do. So um, give you, uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you know what happens that every time Israel finds themselves exiled in a new place, you know what God tells them to do? Have lots of babies. <laughs> lots of them. Be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to be outnumbered. Okay? Pretty, pretty simple, right? 
Uh, what were the Egyptians worried about? They're having so many babies. <laughs> They're going to outnumber us. Look how big these big old boys are. What are we going to do with them, right? Going into Babylon. Don't you stop getting married and having kids. Y'all better have kids or else you're going to lose what God has formed here. You, you, you have children and then you grow them up in the ways of the Lord. It's an interesting demographic to look at, but if you didn't realize this, France has basically become a Muslim nation over the last 10 years or so and projected to be a huge majority when it wasn't even a possibility 15 years ago. And you know the number one reason why? The Muslim families that moved into France are having six children per family and the national French are having one child per family. Over one generation, population changes, worldview changes within a whole culture. So you think about why does God say be fruitful and multiply? I have a pastor friend who says it this way. If you want to survive in a pagan culture, you know how you do it? You outbreed them. Okay? Now that might be a little bit too blunt for some of us, but, but the reality is this. If Christians aren't having families and having children, guess what happens one day to the missionary force, to the morality within the school system, to the voting trends within a nation? You see how this changes? Like that. And so it comes down to, uh, that's why people are not, and, and, and with this we'll get to in a second, but you know, I'm not talking going Duggar or something, right? Okay, I'm not talking like, yeah, 20 or whatever it is, right? But there is something practical about God saying this. Hey, hey, it, it's a wonderful thing to be fruitful and multiply because so I put my image upon you and you put that image upon them. You fill the earth with that as much as you can. So I want to talk about being fruitful and multiply. And to do that, if we really think about fruitful cultivate, especially as it relates to, to uh, families, one major area that this speaks into is what I would call financial planning, okay? And then we're going to have the multiply side about family planning, right? About what do you do when you have a family, right? And typically when you hear family planning, you're like, this is when you get the marriage license and someone at the, the department is going to say, now you need to know how this work, how stuff works. I'm not talking about that. I'm not drawing anybody a picture tonight, okay? But I'm saying as you talk about a family unit, to be fruitful and multiply means this. Cultivate the things that God's given us for us to be able to advance what he's called us to do. And as this relates practically, two major areas this comes into is, is finances and family. So let me talk through how this kind of works practical standpoint. Um, uh, I would say that in a marriage relationship, one of the major issues about being fruitful and multiply is you have to identify, especially when it results to finances, about how you're wired. Okay, If, you, if you're married or if you've been married, you realize this. Typically, when it comes to finances, being fruitful, multiplying, cultivating the gifts that God's given you, you always don't see eye to eye, right? Okay? So here's some things I want to ask you to consider. Number one, do you come from a prosperous versus poor? Which one would you say that you come to? Prosperous versus poor. How has the financial situation of your childhood affected the way you approach financial decisions now? Okay? So let me give you a scenario if you're married and see if this could possibly hinder your ability to be fruitful and multiply that you came from a very meager, maybe even poor lifestyle, and you marry somebody ritzy, okay? And the standard is just a little bit different, right? Day one. One of the biggest issues for, I would say, my generation and below, because um, my parents' generation were first really, they were a lot were going to college and, and really sort of advancing and doing very well, that my age and younger never knew what it was like not to have a car or not to have a phone or not to go on trips. And you know what happens is a lot of times when someone is 21 and they get their first job, they cannot afford the lifestyle that they had as a 14-year-old. 
right? Does anybody else relate to that? Right? Go like, what do you mean I can't do this? Right? I, I was there. And, and especially if there are many times where this fruitful multiply, uh, really two people get uh, at odds with each other because what the standard of housing they think they need to have, the standard of vacation they need to have, the places they want to eat just don't go eye to eye, right? So if you grew up in a situation where you were like, if we went out to eat, we got water and we were thankful, it's different than what appetizer do you want, right? Okay, it's just different, right? Like, uh, so, so you have to realize, can these things complicate a marriage day one? Oh, you better believe it. Now, you can't change that, right? But you at least need to know, okay? You came from a different place than I came from, right? So we think about things very, very differently. Uh, second kind of situation you got to identify, position versus passion. How important is it to have a sense of fulfillment from your job? So we think about being fruitful, multiplying, cultivating the ground that God's put us in. There's a difference between having a position at a job and having a passion that you get to go up to every day, right? How many of you have ever had a job that you hated? Raise your hand, okay? How many of you are currently in a job right now? <laughs> okay, listen, uh, wherever you are in this, right? Uh, um, Y'all do realize this. No matter if it's your dream job, there's something that's going to feel like work, right? People who always tell you, find something that you would do for free, and if you can do it the rest of your life, blah, blah, blah. I've never had any job where I thought 100% of what I get to do, I love, right? I love a lot of what I do, but there are some days I go, oh, great, right? It's just that I got to do this, and this is my responsibility here, and it's just not me. It's a job. It's called work for a reason, and sometimes we've got to stop belly aching and just do it, right? Okay, there is part of that, but I'll also say this. You, if you've ever had a moment where you went to work and you actually enjoyed some part of it, it's a different mentality, right? When you go there and you actually look forward to some of it and you come home somewhat energized, it's different than clock in, clock out, I hate my life. And that affects your marriage, does it not? Okay. It will affect your marriage in a heartbeat if you are overwhelmed by your job. So, with Adam uh, cultivating a garden, it doesn't say if he was passionate about it, if he was excited, like, oh, thank you, Lord, I've always wanted to be a green thumb. Like, who knows, right, where he's at in this. But there is a difference in saying, I feel called to something versus I have to do this. And I think that there are levels of both. Um, I had a friend who was fired from his church because he was reaching too many young people that did not fit the demographic of all the old people in the church. And he was told he could keep his job if he would just reach people who looked like this, but he wasn't. He was reaching people who looked like that, so they finally said, you need to find another job to work with. And so when he called me and I tried to help him work through, find another job, and also then I called and yelled at the chairman of deacons, but that's another story for another day. Um, when, I, when he, the next thing, when he started delivering pizzas to provide for his family, uh, when he had been a pastor, do you think he was excited about that career change? probably say no actually somewhat he was like well these people are kind of nicer than some of the people in my church but um there was a, it was a very big different change from what he'd been accustomed to preparing sermons counseling people and now he, he's delivering pizzas it was a big change for him and you know what he got up in the morning and he was passionate about doing it why because it provided for his family and you know what happened when i talked to his spouse she said i've never felt more love and affirmed and secure in my life when my husband gets up in the morning and says this is what I need to do to provide for my family, even if it's what I'm not called to do. I'm willing to do it. And I think at the end of the day, we all need to be there, right? I just like not to stay there either, right? If you could do something that paid well or paid well and also made you very joyful on the inside, I think we'd all choose that, right? 
So I think that deep down, as you think about a family being fruitful and multiply, I think if every person is where they want to be, it's a wonderful, beautiful, God-given thing. Uh, and, and, and as you process through that. Number three, spender versus saver. Which one are you and which one is your spouse, right? How does your spending habit affect your marriage? Okay? I don't want you to speak on behalf of anybody here tonight other than yourself. How many of you consider yourself spenders? You're really good at spending money, okay? Awesome. Thank you for all the honest people. How many of you are really good savers? Raise your hand, okay? You like to save. How many of you are like, I do both, Pastor, okay? Whatever, right? Okay? Um, whatever it is. Um, folks, can this complicate a marriage if one is a spender and one is a saver? Big time. Big time. It can be be issue, right? Um, there's some times where it's like you want to go, you can spend money. It's okay. We're not poor. You, you actually can, you know, get the large size drink today if you want, and we can pay our house payment. You know, like, we fine, right? Okay? If you want to. Um, but the spending habit affect your marriage, but also if someone is spending, 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 and just swipe, 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 that affects the marriage in a major way. Uh, I think finances is one of the top three issues that complicates marriages, especially when two people don't line up on this. Now, here's the deal. If you at least get on the same page, even if you're naturally inclined to one or the other, you can come together and do something well, but you have to really know what you're dealing with here. Number four, planner versus plotter. Um, how forward-thinking are you regarding financial planning compared to your spouse? Planner, we're seeing far ahead, and we know we're going to. Plotter's like, I don't know what we need to do today. <laughs> Just gotta, here, here's where we are. And um, there are some people who um, uh, I, I will know and think through that they'll go, I just don't want to think about it. It stresses me out. I'm not good at finances. I don't like to think about the future. I just kind of want to live in the moment. Well, that's great. Until one day you realize you should have been living in a, another moment because now you're in trouble, right? And so this difference of how to plan or just plotting through, just going through life, like you've got to figure out kind of where you are in the spectrum and how you serve together in that way. And then the last one is greedy versus giver. What level of generosity is your natural inclination? If you were a stingy, greedy person and you were mar married to a very generous, giving person, that can complicate things because you resent them when they're generous to other people. What are you... Oh, I know they're struggling, but can't they just get a job? This is our money, right? Okay? And, and yet, uh, this can come into, like, do we want to give to a charity? Do we want to give to the church? And, oh, I don't know. This is our stuff. It can be a big, major source of contention if you're not careful. So kind of what the solution is of how you implement and get on the same page. Here's some things I want you to think about. Um, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. I got it there on your list for you, but I love this um, section of Scripture. Where it says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. See about that line. Don't give me poverty, don't give me riches. It's like, what do you give me? Right down the middle. <laughs> Just right down the middle. Why? Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me today my daily bread, not tomorrow's butter. Right? Give me what I need today. Give me what I need today. Right? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Get this idea. When rich people get so full, they go, who's the Lord? I did this on my own. I worked hard. I got the promotion. I provided this. Look what I have done. Nobody can take this from me. Famous last words, right? Okay. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So you can be full and be in danger of sin, or you can be poor and be in danger of sin. Like Now you steal and justify all these bad things to be able to advance your wealth. So, so what's a practical way of thinking through this? One of the things that I would tell um, 
every couple in premarital counseling that's about to get married is, I will say, whatever you're doing, um, at least in the first year, I want to encourage you to do something. This is going to sound the most boring thing that anybody will ever tell you, but at least have one meeting per month where the two of you sit down and do the budget together. Okay? At least pay the bills together. See, do we have enough money to pay for what we need to once a month to do it? And reward yourself if you can do it however you want to. If we do our budget, then we can go out to eat where we can, okay, we're going to Taco Bell tonight. Whatever it is, but you just decide, we're going to do this once a month. We're going to sit down and talk through it. Because if you don't, what takes place is you don't find this unity that God has given, especially... um, I knew of a family that kind of had this kind of mentality, and this this may work for you, and that's completely fine. But um, but there is, I think, can be an underlying danger if you have this is what I make, and this is my money, and that's your money. You take care of these bills, I take care of these bills. Let me tell you the danger there. Um, there's not oneness that God's talking about. There's kind of this is me, and you stay away from me because 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 in that there's there's some level of if you go, this is my money, and I work hard, blah, 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 and I don't care if you need that. you got to figure out how to do that. that. That's not oneness. That's two business partners working on the hall from each other. You know? I mean, that. So at some level, it is this. Um, so when Amanda and I got married, we got one banking account that we put in together. She had just graduated college a month before we got married. I had been working for one year. I was living in a double-wide trailer that the church furnished for me, so I had no payments I wasn't making a lot of money, but boy, was I saving. I was eating ramen noodles every single night. I didn't have TV. I didn't have internet. I was saving that money. She got married to me. She did not have a job. She did not have student loans. She had 83 cents in her checking account. And we put that 83 cents into what I had in there, and it was, this is our one account. We're in this together, right? Now, I'll remind her that she only brought 83 cents into them every time, you know, just every once in a while, right, okay? But we did. We said, no, 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 this is, this is joint. So what I have is now our stuff. There's not you versus me. And so early on in the marriage where I was very much not the planner, not the organized type, I was just kind of like, oh, we got enough money, whatever. You know, like it, I realized that there was a lot of insecurity that would provide for her. So we started early on, probably a year in our marriage, where once a month we would say, okay, this is what we're doing. And here's how we're well, you know, projecting for this. And I remember the, the first shocker of being married uh, was we got back from our honeymoon and there were two um, car tax payments in the mail. And I'm like, what are these things? And it's like, welcome to adulthood, right? Okay, like here it is for you. Um, and, and yet those kind of things early on, they can, they can really hurt, can't they? You don't know where they're coming. So how do you plan and prepare? And so once a month, just us getting together made such a huge difference for it. And so, Lord, don't, don't make me rich. Don't make me poor. Just, let, just give me what I need and let me be faithful with it. So what I'd encourage people to do, uh, make as much as you can. It may sound crazy. It's okay to make money. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't say that money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. And there's a big difference, folks. Um, for all the people like, oh, money is evil. Well, somehow we're thankful that they're paying for the mission trips, supporting the ministries, and doing those kind of things, right? If I think through about what happens to this church, what happens to the Overcomer Center, what happens to Piedmont Women's Center, there are some people who God has gifted them, and they have made money, and we are blessing from it. And I say, thank you, God, right? No, no harm in that. So I would say this. Do what you can to make as much as you possibly can. It's not a bad thing. Work hard. Get promotions. You know, grind it out. Do it. Don't sacrifice your family on it. But making as much as you can is cultivating the ground that, that God's put you in, right? So it's not bad for you to say, let me, let me do well here. Number two, 
budget as much as you have. Whatever you got, make as much as you can, and it won't be as much as everybody else, uh, maybe more than other people, but then you budget what you have. Know where it is, know where it's going, know what you need to do with it. Number three, give as much as you are able. It's one of the easiest ways to unite around and say, we're not going to keep this forever, and we can't store up treasures where rust and moth can destroy. How can we be generous to other people, to other things that are, that are out there? Number four, save as much as you need, right? Rainy day is going to come. Always does. And uh, to know how much, it's always obviously contingent on the situation, but you don't want to be hit by something surprising. So you're thinking through how can we be saving for that rainy day or what's happening in the future. And then uh, fifth is spend as much as is reasonable. Uh, just because you have it don't mean you have to spend it, right? I tell that to my kids from time to time. Hey, you got $25? I'm going to spend it. No, you don't. You don't. You don't have to spend it right now. Like If you keep it here, you might find something you really, really like, right? So you can spend it, but you don't have to spend it. And I would say that to us adults as well. Spend is what's reasonable, right? Um, uh, I think the line somebody said, just because you're, um, you don't always have to, as your standard of living goes up, your standard of giving could go up instead, right? You don't have to always think, oh, I got, I got this and I have to. You, you spend what's reasonable. And, and so as you think about it, being fruitful and multiply, it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to have. Uh, I think through... Um, so last week, since we, I was doing camp at Ridgecrest, it was a Saturday to Wednesday camp, uh, which uh, the boys went with me. It was Sunday was Father's Day, and family had done something for me on Thursday for Father's Day before because we were going to have to travel. And um, but so on, I, I just assumed on Sunday morning the boys were going to completely have forgotten it was Father's Day and be like, oh, we got to get up, you know, just get them going and whatever. I wake up first thing. All right, boys, it's time to go. And Eli says, "Happy Father's Day, Dad." I said, "You remember this Father's Day the first thing?" I was like, "I'm proud of you, buddy." He goes, "And I got you something." I said, "You already got me something. You gave it to me on Thursday." He goes, "No, I got you something else." I said, "What is it?" He says, "I got you five dollars." I said, "Well, that's kind of you, Eli." I said, "I didn't know you did that." He goes, "Yeah, I took it from your wallet last night and I hid it in my suitcase." <laughs> He's like, "He said, I just wanted to give you something on Father's Day, but I don't have any money, so here you go, Dad." And I was like. Thanks, son. And um, and then you really think about, isn't every Father's Day gift, they're just taking from your wallet anyway and they're giving you something back? I mean, really. And then I started thinking about, and any time that I give something, isn't it that God, I'm taking it from God and he's giving it to me and I'm just giving it back to him? That's all it is. God the Father gives me stuff and I just want to give it back to him. Like, God, I'm giving you something. I got it from your wallet, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm giving it back to you. And, and that, that's what it is. And so, be fruitful, multiply, cultivate where God has. I've got to go to this last section really quick. Family planning, okay? I want you to discover a thing about this. When it comes to kids, okay? If you think about children in your house, grandkids, children to come, here's some things I want you to think about. Encourage every single person who's thinking family, has family to consider. Um, from Psalm 127, it says it this way. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a what? A reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Let me ask you a question. Do you typically fight up and close battles with arrows or long distance battles? Long distance battles. You are sending someone further and faster than where you could ever go. Right? Here's a picture of parenting here, folks. I'm going to sharpen these arrows and I'm going to launch them out one day to go beyond what I could ever do. Not up close combat. No, no, no. Go further. Whew. Go faster. Whew. Do more damage for the kingdom of God than what I could ever imagine doing. Just launching them out, right? Um, continues on. Blessed is the man who does what? Fills his quiver with them. That means, <laughs> all right, 
it, this is this is the only place in this passage where I, I struggle. Sometimes I just wish God would tell me what is a full quiver, right? Some of y'all are like one for me, okay? Like that that child was a quiver full right there. And some like if God told me four point five children is a quiver full, I'd say okay. Let me try to figure out how to get four point five, whatever it is, right? Like if if He doesn't give you a number, but what He is saying is this: children aren't a bad thing. They're not a bad thing. And so, the more that you, if you're in a battle, the more arrows you have, the better, right? You ever watched, anybody watched Lord of the Rings before? Remember Legolas? I don't know where all those arrows keep coming from, but he, they shoot like 8,000 in, in a movie, and they just keep coming out. I'm like, I don't know where he come from. This is the idea. If you're in a battle, the more arrows, the better. And the same way with parenting. If you want to do more damage for the kingdom of God, the more, the more you've got, the better, right? Uh, so... Bless this man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with the enemies in the gate. I'm not worried about what they say. I got a quiver full, right? So as we think through this really quick, I want you to think about your, your family. Example versus exception. How would you describe your family life growing up, and how would you want to change that for your family? So the example that I saw before me, is that something that I want to repeat or I want to reject? Or is that the exception, right? Was it like, oh, I saw that, but I, I want to do something different, right? Here's the thing I would encourage everybody here. If you grew up in a dysfunctional family, you don't have to repeat that. You can learn from it, right? You can say, you know what? That happened there, and I'm going to be better because of it. And my kids and my grandkids aren't going to have to endure that because you change it, right? Uh, Some of the the wonderful blessings of seeing people do things poorly is you can say, all right, I don't want to do that because I see where that leads to, right? So no matter what kind of hand you're dealt there, do well with what you got. Um, So... How would you change it? Uh, burden versus blessing. What is your perspective on having children? Uh, are they a burden or are they what Scripture says? They are a blessing. Uh, I never want my children to think that somehow they're a burden to me. They're not a burden. They're a blessing. I'm an issue sometimes. But they're really not, right? Okay. They are a blessing. And typically, if you think about that the fruit of the womb is reward, a gift, a heritage from the Lord... If somebody wants to give me a gift, I want as many gifts as you can possibly give me, typically, right? Okay? Give me as much as you can. So if it's a gift from God, I want to say, ah, oh, one's enough. No, no, no. You, you give me however many gifts that you would give me, Lord. Um, minimum versus maximum. This is important for all families to consider. Do you agree on how many children is a quiver full? Okay? And I will typically talk with uh, people, especially if they're about to go premarital counseling uh, and go through this. I'll say, do you agree on what is a healthy amount of uh, arrows in that quiver, okay? Uh, because I, I had a friend who was doing counseling one time where someone said, hey, do y'all agree on everything regarding marriage? Y'all feel like y'all got everything on the same line? And all of a sudden, she starts crying. And all of a sudden, her fiancé just goes, oh, and just turns his head this way. And he's like, care to indulge? What's, what's going on here? And she goes, all I've ever wanted to be in life is a mother since I was a little girl. All I've ever dreamed about is being a mother and having a full house of a lot of kids. He's like, Pastor goes, well, what's the problem there? And the fiance turns around and said, I would never bring one single child in this God-forsaken world. I won't have anything to do with it. He said, folks, that's a problem, okay? I know y'all like each other, but this is a major issue, okay? And, and typically... Um, People aren't at that place. But also, if there's someone who goes, yeah, I was the only child and one child is great for me. And someone else says, I had 12 and 12 sounds pretty good. Y'all need some talking, okay? What, what, is, what is a healthy amount? What is a quiver full in that house, right? 
And then also say it this way, defense versus discipleship is your goal behavior management or biblical discipleship. When it comes to being fruitful and multiplying and creating these little tiny humans that follow after the Lord, when I say defense, I think there's a lot of people who are Christian folks that the whole goal of their parenting is just defense. I don't want them to do something stupid to ruin the family reputation. I just want to charge you this. That's not the goal. You shouldn't be worried about the negative on the defensive. Like, please don't make any dumb mistakes that end up in the newspaper or embarrass me in front of my friends. It should be this. I want you following the Lord. So it's not behavior management according to the American standard. It is biblical discipleship according to what God says, right? So the goal is, is that you want to parent these children and disciple them God's way. And I'll also say it this way, milestone versus maturity. How do we know when our parenting roles change? There are certain milestones of life that you kind of reach this threshold and certain things need to happen. But also there's a different level of maturity. And I'll just say this, parents, you have the role. Um, <laughs> Amanda was telling our kids this, just because you turn of age and the state says you can have a driver's license doesn't mean we're going to let you have a driver's license. There's a difference between milestone and maturity, right? There are some people that go, I'd probably trust them driving around 14. There's some, I don't trust you when you're 40 driving just yet, okay? If I have my way, there's just a different thing. And so, so this is what you have to go through. Like, as a parent, you're helping watch through those things, but also you're, you're thinking this. Somebody told me at a different stage of parenting, kids need different things. Let me break this down for you really quick. Um, when a child is preschool age and younger, they need a commander. Hey, don't do this. Don't put your finger in the socket. Don't do that. You, you stay on them. You've got to kind of be that drill sergeant a little bit, teach them that way, right? Uh, they get a little bit older, um, you know, kind of preteen. It turns more into the coach. Hey, you're doing good. Let me show you how to do this a little better. I'm real proud of you. I'm not going to stay on you, Commander, because it's going to be really frustrating. But let me coach you along a little bit, right? You get more to like the teenage years, and you're turning to turn the corner to a counselor role, Okay. Tell me how are you feeling, because I know you're all up in your feelings right now. Okay, tell me what's going on. How can I process? Let me navigate these things with you, right? Um, eventually, college, 20-somethings, you turn that role to what would be called a consultant, right? You're not telling this person what to do all the time, but you're there when they need a phone call of advice, right? And eventually, maybe they reach a level of maturity where it turns into the colleague type of status. Not that you're not their parent, right? But you're kind of like, hey... I see you as an independent functioning person and you're good to go. Let me tell you where many relationships go wrong. When a grown child needs a consultant and they still have a commander. Right? Or when a child needs a commander and they're getting a colleague. Right? This is where a lot of the parenting stuff gets frustrated and the kids feel exasperated and they just go, I can't take it anymore. Or the parents stay stuck in a certain thing. It's such a dangerous kind of trap. So you have to know that parenting roles change. Decide really quick, let me get to this. Take full responsibility for the spiritual development of your children. Take full responsibility for the spiritual development of your children. When you think about being fruitful and multiply, gift of marriage is this. Make little disciples who love the Lord and fill the earth with them. Right? Do what you can. Take full responsibility. I will ask parents many times, how healthy would your family be spiritually if the church went away tomorrow? It's all on you, right? I, I praise God that's not reality, but if it was, how healthy would they be? Number two, ensure that you align yourself with the disciple-making church. You guys are here tonight, so way to go. Uh, I think this church loves the Lord and loves making disciples. 
but if you really want to grow, you take full responsibility and you align yourself with somebody who wants to implement and encourage you to do that. Doesn't want to take the ball out of your hand and say, hey, just drop your kids off with us and we'll make this work for them. No, no, no. They're coming alongside and helping equip you do what you do uh, because you, I think parents are the full responsibility there. Three, prioritize spiritual pursuits and regulate worldly obsessions. Um, if anything this last year has taught me as a pastor, it has amplified what I have known for a long time. But parents, they show what they prioritize, but what they make sure their kids will not miss. Okay? I'm all fine for parents who said over the last year, kind of felt nervous about bringing my kids to church in the middle of COVID. I'm fine with that. Why are you taking them to soccer practice? They're at rehearsal every day, breathing and singing in front of people, but yet you're worried about them coming to church. Okay. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. You show them what you prioritize. To me, parents put church and faith on the side, but soccer or baseball or gymnastics or whatever it is cannot be missed because this is so important. I'd say you, you, you see what type of child that you're going to produce when you tell them that church is not essential, but volleyball practice cannot be missed. And how many volleyball stars are probably going to go make it pro out of, out of Greenville County, statistically speaking? Ain't happening. Ain't happening, right? And so it, what happens is you've got to make sure you're prioritizing the right things, regulating the other stuff. Uh, take what you have and teach your children with it. If you have this much, give it to them. Don't wait around to some fictitious amount when you have all this. Take what you got. Teach them what you have. Uh, hey, I know this much, and I'm going to give everything that I got, right? Just going to continue to teach you as we go. Next is continue learning and teaching from the overflow. So you know this much today, you're going to know this much tomorrow, just a little bit more, and hopefully this much by next year. Just keep going. You're just a work in progress. So even if you got grown kids, I'll tell you this. One of the best things parents can do right now is you're talking to your phone, talking to your phone or your kids, or you get to them, hey, you won't believe what I learned in church the other day. I was reading this in my quiet time. I just want to share this verse of encouragement with you to go, what in the world? I'm still growing in Christ. That's to read his Bible. Impact upon impact upon impact. I don't care your age. I don't care the age of your kids. Keep doing that. Your responsibility as a parent will vary throughout the years, but your role will not. They need you in their life. Responsibilities, actions, what you do day to day, of course that's going to change. If it doesn't, that's when issues arise. But your role is not going to change. They, they want you in that life, pointing in that direction. I give you this last verse of Scripture here, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. Eli is the priest. Samuel is in go to go this. Samuel gets a call from the Lord in the middle of the night. You're going to be my new priest. And I'm, I know what Samuel's thinking, but why? Eli's got sons, and they're supposed to be taking that duty. And this is what it says. I told Eli that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Here's what you need to know. Eli's sons, when that happened, they were not five-year-old boys. They were grown men. And... All right, parents, especially if you've got those adult children, you know you can't change a whole lot about anybody, right? Especially when they're growing and going. But what God is saying this, you knew something, you didn't try to stop it. So I'll say this to even parents who've got grown kids. Yes, you cannot put them in timeout. Please don't try to spank them. Don't stop giving them allowance. If they're 40 years old or something, you're trying to get them to do what you want to do. But still, if, if you see concerns, you still have the right to pray about it, to speak about it, to in love, compassion. Be careful the way that you do it, right? 
But the goal, once again, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God's given us that opportunity through the context of marriage. Let me pray for us. Father, I do ask that tonight that as we think about this and we think about your truth that we have through your word, we do thank you for the example of Adam and Eve being put in the garden to be able to cultivate what you've given and to be able to provide for one another and to have what they need, then to you advance what was there in the garden, to be able to advance your image across the world, to be able to create life and to be able to teach them the ways of the Lord. And that call is still there today for us to be fruitful and multiply to walk in that truth, to cultivate what you've given, to create life and to develop disciples through our family. And so God, to that end, I pray that you would cause our marriages to be strengthened for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.